0: Give a warm welcome to everybody to evening worship uh, today, both to those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 61. It's page 293 in the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song, O God, give ear unto my cry and to my prayer attend. From the utmost corner of the land, my cry. To thee I'll send. What time my heart is overwhelmed and in perplexity. do thou me lead unto the rock that higher is than I. We'll sing down to the end of the verse Mark 5. Psalm 61 at the beginning. O God, give ear unto my cry. Amen. Join together in prayer, let's pray. O oh Lord, our cry this night is the same as the psalmist, O oh God, give ear unto my cry. And so much of life's journey seems to be a journey full of perplexity, but we pray that we wouldn't seek to find resolution to the difficulties we face in life's journey in and of ourselves. But that we would turn heavenwards and that we would unburden our souls at your footstool. We pray that we would would find ourselves daily hiding under the shadow of your wing. These are images of you that we would not dare conjure up ourselves. We would deem it to be far too presumptuous. But these are images from the run of life that you have chosen to convey to us astonishing truths concerning yourself. And we pray, Lord, that we would listen to you. We pray that we would read your word and seek to explore it on a daily basis. But the reality is this, there are hard things in it, hard to understand. And even the apostles of old acknowledge that, but there are other things in it that are crystal clear and unmistakable. Indeed, the reality is that we know about you even without interacting with the Word of God because we have that innate knowledge of you. It's intuitive and it's the world over. We pray that we would remember, though, but that knowledge of you will never save us. We are saved by grace and you have revealed that salvation and have inscripturated it for us. And we pray that we would remember what you have said day by day. We look around this world this night and... We do turn heavenwards and cry for your help. We think of the World Cup just starting in Qatar. and All that goes on there, making sport a god. We pray that we would have the right balance towards these things. We pray that we would remember that the Western world, as it heaps criticism on Qatar is not beyond criticism itself we seem to think that our woke agenda is the be all and end all of everything but it so desecrates your name and your institutions and your ways we pray Lord that for those who are Powerful and influential in this world, who use the wealth that, at the end of the day, you have given to them to destroy you and your ways, would be brought to naught. Indeed, they will be brought to naught. Why rage the heath and vain things? Why do the people mind? But ultimately, thousands of years ago, that song was penned. He that in heaven sits shall laugh The laughter of ridicule The ridiculousness of men thinking that they can dethrone God O Lord our God Even although we know that you are the sovereign God It is painful to observe The arrogance And the defiance that is so rampant All around us But we come to you this night and we thank you that we can indeed shelter under that wing that we have been singing about. May that be true of us, one and all. Bless those who took vows concerning our little one this morning. Give them the strength and the courage to fulfill them on life's journey. Remember all of us who have taken vows, whatever they might be. We pray that you'd bless us as a congregation. Remember every family. Our prayer is that our family circles will be unbroken in the great beyond. O Lord our God, deal with us all in your mercy. And gather us all to yourself. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise this time. It's in Psalm number 91. Psalm 91 under the beginning of the song. It's page 351 in the psalter He that doth in the sacred place of the Most High reside, under the shade of him that is the Almighty shall abide. I of the Lord my God will say, He is my refuge still. He is my fortress and my God, and in him trust I will. Verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 91, He that doth in the sacred place of the Most High reside. Now let's read God's word as we find it in the book of Genesis and at chapter 3. The book of Genesis and there at chapter 3. And we'll read (coughs) the beginning of the chapter. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say... And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate and the Lord God said to the woman, "What is this that you have done?" The woman said, "The serpent deceived me and I ate." And the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring; He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Amen and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in a prayer. O Lord our God, we realize that when your place of holiness is desecrated, there are always consequences. And the banishment from the Garden of Eden is the consequence of the rebellion of Adam and Eve. And we realise that as far as the human race is concerned, in and of itself, there is no way back. The cherubim with the sword that went in every direction, a flaming sword, is... Uh, a clear statement to us that the holiness of God is uh, is sacred. And once we're out, we're out forever, except that we go on to read that you made a way back. And we thank you that you have made a way back. We thank you that there was a babe in the manger in Bethlehem 2,022 years ago who was born of a virgin. The Spirit of God overshadowed her and she was with child. And that reminds us of the spirit of God overshadowing the mass of basic building blocks that were used in the forming and the shaping of this universe that we find ourselves in. We so underestimate the power, the sheer power and activity of an eternal almighty God, the almighty God of whom we have just been singing and we thank you that in the midst of our difficulties in life's journey in the midst of all our needs we can turn heavenwards and unburden our souls to the almighty and we ask you to forgive us for us being so fretful and so fearful uh, on so much of life's journey. We pray, O Lord, that as we turn to explore your word this night, that you would open our eyes, that we might see things that are beyond the sight of common eyes, but that the spiritual eyes might see and be glad. We pray that we would come with mouths open wide that we might be fed with heavenly manna so that that might refresh our souls and enable us in the week that we have just entered. We pray this day that wherever your church has met or is indeed meeting or will meet around the world that even where there are two or three gathered in your name that you will be there in the midst to bless And even where there are not twos and threes. But there are people alone in splendid isolation. Not even splendid isolation. But awful isolation. That they might know your presence. And your encouragement. So be with us. We pray. And our loved ones. Wherever they might be. Bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now we continue to sing to God's praise in Psalm 84, page 338 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. How lovely is thy dwelling place, O Lord of hosts, to me. The tabernacles of thy grace, how pleasant, Lord, they be. My thirsty soul longs vehemently, a thy courts to see. My very heart and flesh cry out, O living God, for thee. We'll sing verses uh, 1 to 6 of Psalm 84. How lovely is thy dwelling place. Let's turn to Psalm 25. And we have been looking at it in the Scottish Psalter uh, version, the first version. And we're going to read uh, at uh, verse 11. Psalm 25, the first version, Scottish Psalter, verse 11. Now, for thine own name's sake, O Lord, I thee entreat to pardon mine iniquity. For it is. Very great. Now, let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. We've been doing this series on Psalm 25. We've been looking at how worship that is acceptable to God involves our souls. We can so easily go through an outward ritual and be far, far away from God. And indeed um, we've probably all done that at one level or another where we've been hoodwinking other people and even hoodwinking ourselves but we cannot hoodwink uh, God. So yes, there's got to be ritual because we are physical beings. uh, We are physical entities. There's got to be some kind of ritual in our worship. But the essence has to be there as well. And to thee I lift my soul. It's got to be worship in spirit. And it's got to be worship guided by the truth of God, which is found on the pages of uh, Scripture. Now one of the things that David says in this song is, God good and upright is the way he'll sinners show. And David hits on a positive note there. He is talking about the goodness of uh, God. In verse 6 he talks about the tender mercies. Thy tender mercies, Lord, I pray thee to me remember on loving kindnesses, for they have been of old forever. And we're back to the Old Testament Hebrew word, the chesed of God. The mercy of God, the loving kindness of God, the tender care of God, it has been interpreted in so many ways. And that's because uh, there has been a struggle to capture everything that's in that Hebrew word in the English, uh, in the English language. But he's positive here and he's positive there and he's positive again. But right now he's saying something that is important for us to remember. And remember this, it's a believer that is saying this. He's asking for pardon for his iniquity. And he's telling us something about it. It is very great. And that's interesting. Now I want to look first of all at Adam and then I want to look at David and then I want to say a little bit about pardoning in, uh, for God's own namesake. First of all I, I go back to Adam and I look at Adam. Now I go back to Adam because Adam is the first man and Adam is very important in that he was the representative for the whole of the human race. And when Adam was put, as we saw this morning, into the garden of Eden, along with Eve, there was nothing niggardly or mean or eh, prohibitive, or at least extensively so. It was, it's yours. You do whatever you want with it. There is just the one solitary tree in the midst of the garden that I don't want you to eat of the fruit of it. And the consequence of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that they would die in the day that thou eatest thereof. Thou shalt eh, surely die. Now the blessings that God showered upon Adam and Eve were immense. And it was a two-way thing because let's remember when God creates the human race and he puts them uh, on the stage, if you like. He's got to have humans need somewhere to live. We are time and space creatures and he needs a time and space universe uh, to put them in. And that's what he does. He has this, in the beginning of Genesis, God creates this vast mass and then he begins to work and and he forms it and he shapes it and he gives structure to the universe and then he puts things in this world creatures and the apex of the creatures in this world are human beings and uh, God does all that to shape who he is with other creatures i.e. primarily human beings and uh, Adam and Eve looked upon God and they absolutely loved and adored what they saw it was perpetual worship and God looked on Adam and Eve and he loved what he saw it was if you like perpetual appreciation but it doesn't last it doesn't last the serpent comes along and the serpent very very you know we have been talking or singing in these songs about the subtle fowler and the noise and pestilence and whenever I whenever I read or sing that psalm I immediately think of the devil we're told that he comes at times so subtly to his people that he's got us in his trap before we realize that it's there a fowler's snare that's how the fowler would catch the bird and uh, in these ancient times what they would do was they would look sometimes the birds would go on tracks and they would dig a hole and they would cover over the hole a, big, a hole big enough to take the bird when it would fall into it but they would cover it over with a camouflage And the poor creature would be walking along totally oblivious to the subtlety of what was ahead of it. And before it knew where it was, it was in the pit. Now that is a picture of how it is with ourselves and the devil. The devil is so, so subtle with us. At other times it's the opposite end of the spectrum he operates at. He's like a roaring lion. And it's the sheer ferocity of him coming at us that we just... No, no, I must... I'm going, I buckle. We buckle. And uh, we succumb. And uh, when we sing these songs, we're reminded of the activity of the enemy of our souls. And, of course, the, uh, the enemy of souls came into uh, the Garden of Eden and uh, works very, very uh, subtly. He said to the woman, Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Now, can you see what's happening there? God said there's just one tree. I don't want you to eat the fruit of it. But the devil twists that very subtly. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And she's in on the subtlety of the enemy of souls. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And here's an add on. Very subtly, Neither shall you touch it. God said nothing about not touching it. God said, Don't eat it. But she's fallen into the trap and she's going along with it. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And now it's hook, line and sinker. She's gone for it. And she's thinking in terms of, I'm not going to remain a human being if I eat that fruit. I'm going to become like God. And I'm going for that. And in amongst all this equation, she has rebelled against God. But Adam's in on it as well. Adam's in on it as well. He he partakes of uh, of, he partakes of the fruit. And God's word is true, and God's word is faithful. And God had said to them, "The day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die." Now, some people will say, "Well, they didn't actually die the day they ate of it." Well there are three meanings to the word death in scripture one and they all have this idea of separation they were at one with God in Eden they loved it was a two-way love match if you like they were at one with God but the moment there is rebellion God's saying you're out now before they're actually banished from the garden they know they're out that's why they hide from God the God that they were in fellowship with the God that they were interacting with the God that they were communing with they don't want him anymore why not they are conscious of their own nakedness they are conscious of their own sinfulness and they ridiculously hide behind the trees or the bushes of the garden of Eden Adam where art thou? I hid from you because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? God knows the answer to all of these things, but Adam's not facing up to it. How often is that the case with ourselves? We will not face up to our sins because so we know of the consequences of our sinfulness, and we duck and uh, we duck and we uh, we die. And then Adam does something that we are very, very familiar with. Adam adds insult to injury, if you like. You know, they both knew they had sinned, Adam and Eve. But you know what Adam had the audacity to say? Do you know what, God? It's the woman. She's the problem. But it wasn't just that. It went much further than blaming the woman. It went, It's the woman you gave me. Do you know what, God? You're the problem. There's nothing wrong with me. You are the problem. And that is that is sin upon sin upon sin. That is what you call incredible defiance. That is what you call great iniquity. That's what you call profound rebellion. That is what it is. And Eve is no better. Eve is no better because she says, it's not me, it's that serpent. Now that's very subtle. Let's remember this. When Christ was tempted after his baptism for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness... He was tempted in all kinds of way by the exact same enemy of soul that you and I have. But he never did succumb. He never did succumb. And therein lies the difference. And it's very interesting in the temptation that what Christ comes back to is scripture. He goes back to the book of Deuteronomy again and again and and again. It's true that Satan tempts. We are responsible for our own sinfulness. When we relent as far as temptation is concerned. It's not the devil's sin. It's our sin. But here is Eve and she's trying to offload the culpability onto uh, the devil himself. Now that was great rebellion. That was great iniquity That was outstanding transgression. That is what that was. But alas, Adam was the representative head of the human race. We are all linked to Adam federally. We are all born in sin and shapen in iniquity. He has passed on to us what we call original sin. someone might well say, Do you know what? It's not fair. I'm born into this world as a sinner. I'm born in sin and shape and iniquity. And I do think that's not fair. Well, you can adopt that position. And people do adopt that position. And ultimately they rage against God all their days. And they find no peace. And they find no contentment. And they go over the edge into the abyss that is outer darkness. That's an option, but there is another option, and the other option is to listen to what God is saying to us, not just about how we came to be born in sin and shapen in iniquity, but his resolution to the problem we all face. And his resolution is there. We touched on it this morning. They are hardly out of the Garden of Eden when they're given this great promise. A child of the woman will defeat Satan. And that child of the woman won't just defeat Satan. It's a case of that child of the woman will get us out of the clutches of Satan. And indeed out of the clutches of our sin. That's the astonishing thing about eh, the child of this woman. And of course, the child of the woman is, as we saw this morning, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, born in the stable in Bethlehem these 2,022 years ago. So, if we ask ourselves what kind of sin was Adam involved in? What kind of iniquity was it? I think we can say it was great. Without any fear of contradiction. But here is David 3,000 years ago. And what's he saying? Well, he's saying the same thing. And we ask, why is he saying the same thing? Well, let's just think about it for a moment or two. You remember that the very first king of Israel was Saul, and you remember that there was a major problem for the Israelites at the time Saul was king. It was the Philistines. And a major asset in the Philistine army was Goliath. They were petrified. They were standing on one side of a valley, and Goliath was on the other side, and Goliath was mocking. And who was he mocking? He was mocking the people of God what kind of God we've just been singing what kind of God he is the almighty now you cannot get greater than that he is the almighty but God's people were in a given predicament on that particular occasion and uh, they're in a particular predicament because of the rebellion and waywardness of King Saul and ultimately Saul is rejected by God and another man is chosen. And that man is King David, just a teenager. And in fact, he was so off the radar that when it comes to wondering, well, which of the sons of Jesse is going to be the king? They go through this one, and they go that one, and they go through the next one. And they're, they're thinking, why aren't these fine specimens of humanity being made king by God and God's thoughts are not our thoughts and God's ways are not our ways but David comes along and you remember how his brothers reacted to it his brothers who were out at battle whom he went to visit when they arrived in the scene they basically were really jealous of him really jealous of him and were basically telling him go home, go home but uh, King David It goes out against Goliath with a sling and five stones from the brook. And you think, how on earth is that ever going to work? It works because David relies on the Almighty. And the Almighty guides one of these stones from the slingshot of David to, we believe, the temple of Goliath. The only area of Goliath that a a blow could be fatal on of his whole body and that's the exact place. Not that the shot was fatal initially but it knocked him out sufficiently for David to be able to execute the great enemy of Israel. And from then on... David in the minds of the people is just so excellent. And Saul has killed his thousands. But David has tens of thousands. And that causes massive problems between Saul and uh, David. But here he is. He's anointed by Samuel the prophet. And he is the king of God's people on planet earth. And everything seems to be going his way. Everything. He has a wife, he has a people, he has power, he has wealth, he has a family. He's got, he's got it all, so to speak. And what then? Well then, one day, when kings are meant to go to war, he's not there. He stays home at Jerusalem. And he's idling around. And he sees a beautiful woman bathing. And his mind is set afire and aflame. And he sends her and by and by they do something they ought not to have done. And by and by the message is she's expecting your child. And David is in a flat panic. And David comes up with a scheme that will enable the whole thing to just go under the carpet. And it will all be forgotten. Well that's what he thinks anyway. That's not the way it works out. And when Uriah Bathsheba's husband comes home. And David is hoping that Uriah will go in to see Bathsheba. And he'll be off the hook. But Uriah the Hittite. Not even one of God's own people was more honourable than David in that he said, I'm not going to go into my wife whilst my fellow men are out on the war front. I'm not doing it. And David's in a real tight spot. How do I get him to go to Bathsheba? And he feeds him with drink until his Uriah is drunk, but even in the midst of his drunkenness he's saying, No, I'm not doing it. And David is in a bigger panic than ever. And so he sends Uriah back to the battlefront with a letter. And faithful Uriah doesn't open it. And the, and, and the plan is this put him in the hottest part of the battle so that he's absolutely guaranteed to be killed. And that's what happens. That's what happens. And you think, how low is that? And how despicable is that? How dastardly is that? And, and, and he's, he's off the hook. He is off the hook. Except he's not off the hook with God. Because God sends his prophet Nathan. And Nathan gives him this wee story. And David is Outraged absolutely outraged that man shall die well there's only one problem you're the man you are the man and there's no other way to describe David's iniquity other than this it was great it was overwhelming it was massive and here he is in this song (coughs) And he speaks about the goodness of God and he speaks about the graciousness of God and he speaks about the mercy of God but he doesn't get away from the fact that he is who he really is. And he calls his sin for what it really is. Now whether it's this or maybe other sins as well we can't be 100% sure but we do know that there was great sin. In the life of David And you think now how on earth does that all work Here is the man after God's own heart Here is the believer Here is the man that has followed him for many a day Yeah but he's still a man And I'm not excusing in any kind of way But where God works in the life of an individual The process of sanctification is such that you become enlivened and more sensitive to sin as the process goes on. And that's not just enlivened and more sensitive to sin presently. You, you reflect. And sins that you've managed to handle in the past, they're monstrous. They've taken on a new life of their own. That's why he says, My sins and faults of youth do thou, O Lord, forget. So David's talking about great sin. But what's he saying about it? Now for thine own name's sake, O Lord, I thee entreat to pardon mine iniquity. For it is very great. Will you pardon it? Why? for your name's sake now the name refers to the person so this person is God and because you are who you are I want you to pardon it now there's two things I want to say about that it's an acknowledgement that pardon is God's idea pardon has come from God himself it's back to you and you know that's a healthy place to be That is a really healthy place to be. For a human race that is so bent on saving itself. For a human race that often will say, God will 95% save me, but I've got to put my 5% in. That's the way we operate at so often. That's the way we operate at. Hardwired to salvation by works. It's 0% our input our salvation is a gift of God it's his idea from the beginning to the very end and indeed this, the astonishing thing is it began not before we were born although it did begin before we were born it began before the universe even came into place it goes a way back into the mists of history the theologians call it the covenant of redemption that is mind-boggling stuff but God has said about it and it is an acknowledgement of God's role in it. But it's not just an acknowledgement of God's role and I think I think there's more than that. It's thanking God for the goodness and the kindness of the salvation that He has afforded somebody who is a great sinner. how can we apply this teaching in our daily lives well you know how it goes you may have been a believer for decades and the devil comes in like a flood highlighting your sin and underscoring them and reiterating them in a way perhaps that has never been the case before and he's saying there's no way in the world you'll ever be saved no way in the world what do you do well unless you're equipped from the word of God to deal with that scenario we are going to be in great difficulties but when we are equipped from the word of God we can take him on and when we come to a passage like this and we tell the enemy of our souls, Do you know what? I'm not any different to David and I'm not any different to Adam, I agree with you one hundred percent, my sin is massive, it is great, it is profound rebellion. But do you know what? There's a name. And there's a person who from all eternity I'd planned to do something about the plight that I find myself in. And I'm acknowledging that. I'm not saving myself. He's giving me a gift of salvation. What's your response? He has no response. He has no response. And that's why David is just so thankful. To highlight the name that has given him the greatest gift of all and so as we explore this song about real worship and soul worship who's behind this song who's involved in it a great great sinner that's who and at the end of the day we are all great sinners and if the process of sanctification is operating we're not going to get to the stage where we're going to say well I'm so much better than I used to be so much better than than I used to be we are going to have that sensitivity we are going to have that sensitivity but not only are we going to have that sensitivity we've got an almighty God who deals with all these things an almighty God who deals with the great sinner And that's why we're here tonight. And therein lies our hope. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God. We thank you that you are who you are. And we want to shrivel up in shame. Because we are who we are. But may the enemy of our souls not get the better of us. May we acknowledge that you've done something. And may we not just acknowledge it. May we be very thankful in our souls. That you have graciously and kindly saved rebellious sinners. Such as we are. Who trust in you. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing in the same song, Psalm 84, and it's at verse 7. So they from strength and wearied go still forward unto strength, until in Zion they appear before the Lord at length. We'll sing to the end of the psalm, verses 7 to 12. So they from strength and wearied, go. may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one.